From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official health care provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. The month of November is always one of the most hectic of the year for the Gators, with the tail end of football, soccer, and volleyball colliding with the start of basketball season. On today's show, we'll address that cross-section of activity by talking both football and basketball with FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry, the voice of the Gators, Mick Hubert, and new women's basketball coach Cam Newbauer. Let's get it started with Scott and Chris, as we have a lot of ground to cover with our resident writers. Before getting into the lofty expectations for Mike White's team entering year three, we turned our attention back to the gridiron, where Randy Shannon is looking to get the Gators refocused on a tough task in Columbia, South Carolina, following a rough afternoon in Columbia, Missouri. If the Orange and Blue are going to find more success, it will likely come because of stronger play at quarterback, and we asked Scott to give his assessment of Malik Zaire's first start as a Gator. The decision to go with uh, Malik Zaire was, uh, you know, an opportunity for just to get the offense cranked up. As we talked last week, they only thrown for 309 yards over the last three games combined. You know, Malik goes in, he gives them 158 yards, which was actually the most passing yards by Gators quarterback since Franks came off the bench in the win over Vanderbilt and threw 185. So, I mean, that's how dry the uh, the yards have been in Florida's passing attack over the past month. Uh, he threw the ball down the field some. And really, Adam, I think it's just an opportunity to see if he can provide anything. And, you know, one thing they did do, he did drive them downfield on three scoring drives. Uh, they all ended up in field goals, which was the issue in the red zone, instead of touchdowns. If they, you know, if they got in touchdowns, that game wouldn't have gotten away from Florida so long early. Uh, so that was something that Randy Shannon talked a lot about uh, this week after practice that, hey, we're working on the red zone a lot because that cost us severely in the loss at Missouri. But I think if you're looking at Florida's offense, if there's a positive to take from the, the switch of quarterbacks from uh, Franks to Malik Zaire, it was that they did move the ball with some consistency, which had been rare uh, in the passing game. Uh, they got some points. They just didn't get touchdowns. You know, one thing that, that just unfortunately won't stop are these injuries. The injuries continue to hit. Now Brett Heggie gone for the year. I mean, realistically, what does this team have to work with now? How many more reserves do they have to try and get through this final stretch? And where do they fit in some of these pieces? Well, you're right. I mean, you, you go back really to the start of the season when they lost Marcel Harris. And it's just accumulated. You look at just over the past month against LSU, they lost Nick Washington for the season. The next week, they lost Jordan Sherritt for the season. The next week, they lost Malik Davis for the season. Last week, they lost uh, Brett Hagee for the season. Obviously, I forgot Luke Del Rio in the Vanderbilt game. So that's five consecutive games where the Gators have suffered a season-ending injury to a key player. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's just been really a tough stretch for them. And they also have had a period without their two best playmakers and Tyree Cleveland and uh, Kadarius Tony. So as much as they've had some issues with maybe uh, just lack of execution, this team's also had some serious issues with injuries, even if they were a 
you know, in contention for the SEC East title right now. This was still impacted them in a lot of uh, negative ways. And uh, it's just a matter of, you know, you got to have guys come in and step up. That was the tone this week. You know, Tyler Jordan uh, this week, he, you know, he moved into Brett Heggie's spot at right guard after Heggie went down in Missouri. He said, hey, I've got to step up now. And then the guys behind him, Antonio Riles and uh, Kavaris Harkless, they're getting playing time now. They've got to step up. And uh, you saw Randy Shannon. I mean, he pulled Martez Ivy and Jawan Taylor from the game the other day in the red zone when they made middle errors. So they're just, they're just trying to get guys to refocus. Uh, a lot of young guys, uh, Shannon's message this week has played off a lot of what David Reese said after the game. Look, we're without a lot of our key guys. But guess what? We still have three games to go. We have to stay together because no one else is going to uh, win any of these games for us. We have to do it ourselves. And to do that, they're going to have to rely on a lot of young players who we haven't seen maybe in uh, these situations. What's been the response from players about David Reese's comments? Because, you know, those got a lot of play, no question. Uh, have players sort of rallied around that? Has that been, uh, you know, sort of a call to action for them? Yeah, it really has. I mean, uh, you know, every player that came in, uh, this week was asked about his styles. Tyler Jordan said he somewhat agreed. Kerry Clark said those comments were true. Taven Bryan said he got it. He said, look, we've had some guys not playing up their potential. And we've had some guys maybe not locked in like they needed. And it's, it's what happens, uh, Adam, sometimes with a team like this. You're losing a lot of bedroom voices uh, in the locker room. And all of a sudden, a lot of younger players are are getting, uh, you know, more opportunities, but they're maybe not quite ready or maybe uh, not quite as mature and focused as they need to be. And I think what David Reese was really trying to say, he was just trying to re refocus this group. I mean, he likes a lot of the guys on the team. He says that overall they've got some good chemistry in the past, but with the, with the coaching change, with the injuries, with the losses mounting, uh, they've gotten off center some. I think that was a message. Let's let's try to get recentered for these last three games to at least go out and put up a better performance than what they had at Missouri. Because, you know, you could tell that was a team that went out on the field at Missouri that just was lacking something. Uh, Tyler Jordan said it was juice. They've got to come out with more juice at South Carolina on Saturday to have a chance. Yeah, and South Carolina brings a lot of challenges. One of them mentally, the fact that Will Muschamp is on that other sideline and it's no secret what, what it would mean to him to beat this Florida team that he was let go from just a few years ago. So, you know, talking about South Carolina, what do we know about this South Carolina team? How does it compare to what we've seen from Muschamp over his time, especially in Gainesville? I think pretty much it looks like, you know, your Muschamp team. It's not going to be like a high-powered offensive team. It's going to be a, a team that likes to win with plays on defense. That's what we got here. That's what he's kind of taken there. He's done very well on, on the recruiting trail. It's a young team. But you're right. Uh, I would imagine that Will Muschamp will be very geared up for a game like this against uh, his former employer. And, you know, when it comes to something like that, we've been doing this a long time. Scott and I, you, you can get too geared up. So I think uh, from Muschamp's standpoint, he may have to, like, do some filtering on on that front with regards to uh, you know, how jacked up he is. You want it to be business as usual to some degree. You, you want everyone to play hard. You want to be focused, and uh, that has to start at the top of the food chain. Um, start with him. As much as he wants to win, I'm sure he's delighted that the Gators are coming in, wounded, as it were, coming into his house. They're playing well. They have a chance to go to a, to a decent enough bowl game. 
in a, what you know would be a second rebuilding year for him. It's going to be exciting up there from the Williams Bryce standpoint. But um, David Reese made some really good points. I agree with everything Scott said, and obviously the players did too. That you got to understand, uh, we were with that team. You're, you're going up there, and it's, it's the shell shock uh, was still uh, uh, very much evident. The leftoverness, and I think one of the things that uh, David Reese said, he's he talked about how much he loved the coaches, and that that extends to McIlwain. McIlwain got him here. So those guys had to adjust to a whole idea of their coach being gone. And I'm, I don't know how much better it's going to be this week, but I would think it has to be better than a week before. One team that as a coach they're very familiar with is the Gator basketball team. And it's time for them to get started with a, a lot of anticipation. And you know I think that's one of the things that's cool about this season just from the jump is to have that juice, going back to that word, before the season. And people are talking about Florida basketball now like one of these blue blood programs where you have high expectations right from the middle of November. Yeah, I think two years ago, the the theme of the team would have been the unknown because you had Michael White coming in and nobody really knew a whole lot about him. They knew they knew of his exploits, what he did at La Tech, but he'd never been to an NCAA tournament before. Then last year, I, th- I don't think there were a lot of expectations on that team last year coming off an NIT season. So uh, they obviously exceeded those. 27-9, 14-4, second place in the league, run to the Elite Eight. Now they got a lot of guys back from that team. It's going to be a high-scoring team. It's going to be a team that has to play defense better than it's played in three uh, scrimmages slash exhibition games to date. But it is going to be a team that is going to be a, a very exciting team. People are going to enjoy coming and watching these guys in the O-Dome. They're going to love watching them on TV. But Mike White's talking about with this team every day, he's not worried about them scoring. He's worried about how many points the other team's going to score because it's a daily fight with these guys to defend to the degree that uh, not only Mike White wants, but the standard that was set by that team last year, which was one of the 10 best teams uh, defensively in the country if you go by the advanced metrics people go by. So, Chris, when you talk about the defensive side of it, is it a desire to defend or is it more of an ability to defend given the pieces that they lost? I think if you talk to the coaches, it's all about desire. But at the same time, you have a guy like last year, the the defense against Vanderbilt at times was really, really poor. They do some stuff they do so well, it can really uh, catch the defense in bad situations. Um, I think Keystone looked lost a couple times last year. He has to be better. I mean, this is a guy playing the power forward spot that really has to he's, – he's a key to how much better this team can be because they, they need solid play from there last year. They got that from Justin Leon. They didn't get spectacular play, but they knew they could rely on him. Keystone is still in a – he was a retro freshman last year who was playing about, I'd say, 15 minutes a game, maybe 17 minutes a game. He's a guy they're going to look at. But at the same time, they got a couple new impact veterans in, obviously, Igor Kolachov and Jalen Hudson. Uh, Igor is a guy who's going to play decent defense, but at 6'5", he's going to have some limitations when it comes to bigger guys. Jalen Hudson is a guy who had defensive issues at Virginia Tech. It's a daily, daily discussion with him. Man, he can really score the ball, Adam. He leads the team in scoring in those three preseason games thus far. He's got 47% from the floor. He's 8 of 14 from a three-point range. He's averaging 16 points a game. Um, He's grabbed six rebounds. I mean, he can play. Uh, He can put the ball in the basket, but he's got to defend better. He knows that. And he's vowed to. Same thing goes for Kayvon Allen. Kavari saves all of them. It's going to have to be a collective effort. If these guys can at least take that defense up a little bit and keep it together until Johnny Boone comes back. Obviously, Chris Chioza has to come back. They're not expecting him to be out very long, if at all, uh, once the regular season starts. This team's going to be really, really good. But defense is going to be the narrative throughout the preseason as they head toward the first SEC game, which happens to be against Vanderbilt, a team that Mike White is 0-5 against to date. It's probably kept them last year from uh, at least being in contention for the SEC championship. 
So we know about the transfers. Those are the guys who generated the most headlines. What are some of the other players we're going to see emerge that we haven't seen before? Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to, like, I mentioned Keystone. Obviously, he's not a new guy. And Gorshak not is not a new guy. And those are guys that are going to play significant more roles. But if you're talking about the freshman, one guy who I, I didn't think we were going to see much of, to be honest with you, was Dante Bassett, who's a redshirt freshman, sat out last year after breaking his foot the second practice of the year. But he's shown that he can get in there and give him some uh, blue-collar minutes, uh, rebounding the ball. He's not a guy who has an agenda as far as, you know, going to try to get some shots up. He's doing what they're asking him to do, and that's bang around and tip the ball and get on the floor if need be. Um, the most talented of the freshmen, uh, DeAndre Ballard, was a high scorer out of Atlanta. He's the guy who's probably going to have to wait his turn a little bit at him because he's playing in a wing position that's kind of stacked with the Florida's three best scorers and Hudson and Kayvon Allen and, and Igor. And then if I have to say another guy, it's, it's Chase Johnson, who's been really slowed by a uh, concussion. He was in concussion protocol, was cleared to make his uh, season debut, as it were, in the exhibition game against Tampa. Might have banged his head again, so I'm not sure uh, if he's available, going to be available in the next in the next week or so. We'll have to see about that. But uh, the last freshman is Michael Cora, who's a freshman out of Raleigh, who went uh, up to Brewster Academy in New Hampshire. He's probably going to have to get the ball just by necessity, especially if Chris Chioza isn't playing in that first game. Um, he's a point guard by definition, whereas Kayvon Allen is not. But Kayvon Allen is this team's backup point guard. Michael Coro is a guy that they expect to be on the ball, uh, playing point down the line, but may have to do it a little sooner rather than later. That's your kind of a, a introduction to the new guys for this team right now. This is a question I, I like to ask every coach before a season, and I'll ask you to get your take on it. If you're Mike White right now, where is this team relative to where you want it to be entering the season? Nowhere near. It goes back to that to that defensive uh, stance it takes. Um, Mike White, during his career at Ole Miss, was a pit bull. And uh, this guy was not a overly athletic, by any stretch of the imagination, guy. He's a guy who got on the court and started for the better part of four years because he guarded and played and banged and I mean, did his, I think he averaged more than 4,000 a game for his career or very close to it. He got his money's worth on the defensive end. That's what he wants out of his team. He would love for that to be the, uh, maybe not the identity of his team, but he, he wants to play great defense every year. He wants to have a team that's, that's entertaining, that jacks up a lot of shots and scores a lot of points. Of course, everybody does, but intertwined in all that, he wants a defensive toughness and a mentality that was kind of the, his calling card. And, and his coaches aren't going to stop talking about that until they get to that point. And once they get to that point, they're still not going to stop talking about it. Let's wrap things up today with our PAT. Uh, Getting back to football, this is a hot topic at the moment with the college football playoff rankings that come out every Tuesday and make people go crazy depending on what part of the country you're in. And one of those places they're going crazy is in Madison, Wisconsin, because there's a lot of thought right now that because of their strength of schedule, Wisconsin could go undefeated as the Big Ten champion and be left out of the college football playoff, which would be maybe a, a bigger disaster than when the BCS put in two SEC teams. So I'm curious for you guys, let's say you're on the committee, uh, which you, you may very well be. It's a very shadowy group. Would you be able to leave out an undefeated Power 5 team like a Wisconsin or maybe even a Miami should that happen? As the setup currently exists, uh, yeah, I would. I mean, let's just take this season for example. Let's see. Let's say Alabama and Georgia both go undefeated. They meet in the SEC championship game, and it's just a classic 31-28. You know, Georgia win. Do I have any problem putting Alabama 
in the 14 playoff and leaving Wisconsin out? No, not really. I mean, if I look back at their schedule, I mean, obviously there's a lot of, uh, you know, analyzation that has to come in. But, I mean, that's the case that, you know, we've seen even, I think, already where uh, Penn State complaining some last year and Ohio State got in without winning its uh, division. And you know what? Let's go ahead and address what's going to happen here. This is actually good for college football when Mm -hmm. there is a team on the outside yelling because that gets us the 18 playoff quicker. And you look at how this is going to work. The number five team that's left out is going to have a lot stronger case than the number nine team that's going to be left out. And that's where this is eventually going. We all know it. Uh, This four-team playoff, I think, has been interesting. It's been fun. But I think uh, if you're in one of these uh, decision-making chairs in college football, you like the fact that there's a Wisconsin out there that, you know, is going to be upset by being left out because that's speeding up the time clock on the 18 playoff. I'll take the opposite just for the sake of argument. I, that would that would irritate me. I think you should there should be a premium on winning your league. A uh, team that doesn't win its league and gets into the playoffs over a team that, say, does. Let's say that is an undefeated Wisconsin team. You'd have a lot to complain about. I think they have these conference championships for a reason. Mm-hmm. Remember when uh, the SEC found the loophole in the NCAA manual about, hey, if you have two divisions, you can play this extra game. And <laughs> Kramer was certainly on the you know forward thinking on that front back in you know, whatever it was, 1991, to be able to throw that thing together and have that classic 1992 uh, first SEC championship game. I think it needs to I think it needs to mean something. And I think uh, some of these other teams, I guess the Big 12 or the Pac-12, are cannibalizing themselves. Whether or not they'll be in it, I don't know. But uh, if a Big Ten team goes undefeated and wins its championship, they need to be in the damn uh, playoff game. And just to counter that point quickly here, <laughs> here's my litmus <laughs> test, Adam. Let's say, let's just, since we're talking about hypotheticals, let's say let's say that scenario with Georgia Alabama works out. Great game in the SEC championship. One of them wins by a field goal. Uh, Wisconsin still runs the table. They're they're looking. Uh, they're on the outside looking in. If Alabama or Georgia played Wisconsin at a neutral site game, at this point, I, I see Alabama or Georgia being favored. I mean, mm-hmm. that's kind of how I look at it. Now, if I thought Wisconsin was going to be favored of one of those teams, I'd probably have a different view, maybe more along Chris's lines. That's really how I look at it. It's a fine argument. At the same time, it's it's clear cut. Conference champion, you should be you should be get some kind of reward for that, especially if you got a zero in the loss column. So I'm fine the other way, but I I, I would certainly understand the uh, the screaming bloody murder down State Street in Madison if if, if something if something like that were to happen, that'd be tough. Lightning strikes are rare, and so are occasions where Chris and I agree on something. So I'm, I'm, I'm with Chris on this. I don't think you can keep out an undefeated Power Five conference champion. Otherwise, what's the point of having the Power Five conferences if that doesn't get you into a playoff? I, I don't know what would. Well, so, I sure hope it happens this year. We will see. One important criteria to keep in mind is that they do say now the BCS was the most deserving teams. This is about the best teams. So that's sort of that sort of pushes back towards Scott's argument about what happens if they play on on a neutral field, but it'll be interesting. There's a lot of football still to be played, so we'll we'll see how it shakes out, but If you're one of the best teams, you should be undefeated then. Yeah, you can take this a lot of directions and we just did. That's the beauty of it. So in that case, we'll uh, we'll wrap up. Thank you guys so much. And again, Gator basketball gets going on Monday. Make sure to follow Chris. He's got you covered on all fronts when it comes to that. And will both of you guys also be in Columbia this weekend? 
We will. Traveling the world. Both of them will be in Columbia covering Florida, South Carolina. So we'll see if the Gators can put forth a better performance than what we saw in Missouri. Check them out at Gators Chris, at Gators Scott, and all of their content on FloridaGators.com. Guys, thank you so much. It's been a true pleasure, Adam. Thank you, Adam. Given all that's transpired, it's hard to believe that less than three years ago, Will Muschamp was patrolling the sidelines for the Gators. Many in the organization still have fond memories of Muschamp from his time at UF, including Mick Hubert. On the eve of the second meeting between Muschamp's Gamecocks and the Gators, Mick reflected on how Muschamp changed the culture in the football offices at Florida and the warm relationship that they shared. I go back into the 90s, Adam. I used to walk down the offices, the, the hallways to the offices in football when Coach Spurrier was here. And whether it was Ron Zook or, or Bob Sanders, Jim Collins, Carl Bob Franks, any of those guys, Mick, come on in, come on in. I'll sit down with them. They'll start drawing me plays. I'm going, I'm pitching myself. I go, I'm sitting in here. One of the football coaches, University of Florida, he's drawing me a play, explaining and teaching me football. And that was the way it was in the 90s. And when Ron Zook came back, same way. Whenever Meyer came in, we kind of went from a family almost to IBM. And we, <laughs> we had uh, locks on the doors and uh, it was a little stranger feeling walking in the football offices then. Although uh, I've always felt I was respected in, in that manner. So we did it, but it was a little different. It, it became more of a more of a bigger business. You know, by 2005, college football had become a lot bigger business than it was when Steve came in in mm-hmm. 1990. But it was a little different. When Will came in, felt like the doors were open again. So we went and went there and we, and we talked to Will. Will was a great guy. And when, when they came back here last year, I immediately that day, the game day, I, I went down into the Southeast tunnel where the visiting team comes out in the swamp. And I went back in there and, and Will was just coming out. I was, I, I met him when he was coming out and I wanted to see him. And I spent 10 or 15 minutes down there talking with him and, and uh, reminiscing a little bit. And then, then a few hours later we had him beat, but, but and, and he knew he was trying to beat us. We're trying to beat him, but that we were still friends at that point. So, you know, th- those things happen. Now, obviously, Will's going to want to beat the Florida Gators, but like I say, we, we've got a chance to, to get them. He's doing a really wonderful job, probably not as strong as he hopes they will be someday. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why I say this is this is an interesting month for me. This is not a throwaway. This is uh, bowl games st- still on the line here. And then, of course, obviously, we're sp- going to be favored to beat UAB. And then FSU coming in, and, and they're not going to come in 11-0, 10-1, anything like that. They're going to be struggling themselves. So I think, you know, that that's an interesting game. You know, it may not have been, you know, uh, two ranked teams like we've seen it over the years, but it's still going to be two highly competitive teams that don't want to lose this game. So that's why I say this is a, this is going to be a, a lot of fun. I, I can't wait for it, really. I'm excited. And, uh, you know, Adam, and November is always exciting because not only do you have the crunch of football, but you have the beginning of basketball starting, too. No question. Uh, it seems like we just ended the last basketball season with the buzzer beater, uh, at MSG and you know obviously one of the great moments that you've ever had the chance to call many Gator fans have ever seen and yet here we go the third year for Mike White is about to begin uh, I'm curious where you see the basketball program right now and, and where coach White has taken it well you know just the other day earlier this week I, I was in the TV studio to uh, tape the, the Gator basketball preseason special and and that's the word I used, too, after I welcomed everybody to the show, was the word special. When you think about this Gator basketball team, what Mike White is doing with that basketball program is indeed special. Because I, I thought he had a very good first year. There were some bumps along the way. But, I mean, we, you know, we, we still, there's still a benchmark of winning 20 games. I think that's still important. 
Uh, and so, you know, we were 21 and 15 and we played on into the quarterfinals, the NIT. And then you got to remember now you inherited a team that was under 500. So mm. it wasn't like we were coming off final four teams that, that had been recent, but hadn't been the past year. So, you know, we had to kind of, you know, guys had to buy in a little bit and, and there was a little bit of give and take. And I thought the first year was okay. It was, was really pretty good. But then last year it ratcheted up a notch and you could really see Mike and his coaching staff and the players buying in more, very much like Billy in the later nineties when Billy and his, and Anthony Grant and John Pelfrey and those guys, they were younger. You know, they were in their early to mid thirties and they were relating to players. And here's Mike and Mike is that in this group of coaches are in their thirties and they're out there practicing with the players and doing things. And so there was an immediate uh, buy-in right there and uh, the culture was established and, and he got those guys to play defense. And I think when you look this year going forward, that's going to be one of the keys. Can this group of players buy in and play that collective team defense that made Florida basketball so special last year? And I say that knowing that we averaged almost 78 points a game. We shot 45% from the field. We went from 65% free throw shooting his first year. We know how bad it was for a couple of seasons. Went from about 65%. Last year, we went to almost 73%. So we had some offense, too. But I think we got where we got last year because of the team chemistry and their ability to play for one another on a defensive end. And when you lose a guy like Casey moving on and and, and Devin moving on, those were those were guys that had some long range. And, and Leon moving on, they had long arms and long reach, and they, they were good defenders. So we got to replace those guys. I think this year's team will have a lot of offensive firepower. But again, are you going to score 80 and, and, you know, give up 80? I mean, so that's the thing. I'm not saying they're going to do that, but that's they have to really, I think, focus in on the defensive because that's what Mike's teams are, are made. Guys with long length that can run, that will play defense and, you know, be able to score out in transition. So here we are ranked in the top 10 in the preseason polls and uh, picked up behind Kentucky uh, for second in the SEC. And uh, I think the league's getting better. And uh, so I, I, it's very exciting. And it's also exciting this year because a year ago we were playing no home games in November and December, not until before Christmas did we get in the right. exact deck arena. So that's what makes this nice. We've got 17 home games this year. And so you can go watch Gator basketball in Gainesville in November and even in for the most part of December. And that wasn't available to us last year. So that's what makes that equally exciting. And that'll be, that'll be a lot of fun. The only thing I, I can't be in two places at one time. So I'm that's going right. to miss, I'm going to miss Phil Knight's 80th birthday bash out there in Portland. Oh, and no. that's going to, that's going to be a lot of fun because, you know, with Stanford and Gonzaga, Ohio state, yeah. and possibly Duke, everybody, but it's the week of obviously the FSU football game. And, and I've done, I've been to the Bahamas and and come back and forth. And last year went from Orlando to Tallahassee and back and forth and didn't miss any basketball or football. But when you're talking about Portland, Oregon, you know, it's 3000 miles away. It's just, it's just, you can't do it. You just can't do it. So I'm, I'm going to be watching on TV like everybody else, I guess, uh, that, that week of Thanksgiving when they go out there and play that, but those will be the only three basketball games I won't be able to make. Well, Mick, we really appreciate your insights as always. Thank you so much for joining us. Adam, thank you. My pleasure. While Scott Strickland is currently engaged in his first high-profile coaching search, the initial coach he hired at Florida is about to set sail on his maiden voyage. Cam Neubauer has been tasked with turning the long-dormant women's basketball program into a contender, and his team takes the court for the first time on Saturday afternoon at Exact Tech Arena. We spoke to the engaging and enthusiastic head coach about the state of the program entering the opener and what they focused on changing. 
some of the challenges that we've faced is there's a, been a bit of a stigma uh, around our program because we are the only program that's never won an SEC championship, let alone compete for a national title, which is what most sports do here at Florida. So I think sometimes people assume that there's something wrong with everything here. And so recruiting-wise, you're trying to get people to come to campus and to see who we are and what we're about and to, and to buy into coming to be the first. No women's basketball program in the entire state has ever been to a Final Four. So we're in no different position as the other programs in the state. It's just that some of them have maybe competed in their conference a little better than we have in the past. So the challenge is creating a vision and getting people to buy into the vision and believe their role in this vision can be grand. And oftentimes people wonder why there's not much parity in women's basketball. Well, it's because a lot of great players tend to go to the programs that are already very, very good. You need to find those ones that really won't believe in you, your community, and what you're building and want to come be the first to do something special and then build around those people. We've really stressed the culture in our locker room and the culture in this community that we're trying to build in terms of engagement with fans, engagement with people, uh, serving people, uh, getting to know people, know their names, and just going out of our way to meet people where they are and to, and to just create a uh, more family atmosphere and culture here uh, for women's basketball because the Gainesville community is very welcoming. And I think too often of times we assume that people should show up and watch us play just because we're athletes. When in reality, I think people will show up and watch you play when they know who you are. And so just really challenged our, our staff and our players to, to go out of the way to say hello to people and introduce themselves. We've had some neat stories of some things that have happened where, where I've had a number of people in the community come up to me and say, hey, I was pulled over on the side of the road with a flat tire the other day and car pulls up and two young ladies come up and ask if we can help change their tire. And it was two of your players. Wow. At a, yeah, during the hurricane, one of our players bagged an elderly woman's groceries and carried them to her car for her. So just a lot of little things like that that I think will, will make an impact for us in our locker room and on the court as well. Yeah, I know you've talked a lot about that even since you, you got here, about that community impact and connecting with people. Why do you think that's so unique to, to this sport in particular and so key to being successful? Well, people want to be part of things. And anytime you ask people for help, anytime you invite them, it makes them feel appreciated. And then, you know, Adam, you got to understand the most important thing anybody has in this world is their name. So when you know people's names and you use their names, it makes a big difference because they feel connected. And so now all of a sudden when we get to know these families and their children that come to games and these fans that have been supporters for many years, not just of, of Florida, but women's basketball. I think then they start to see that you do care about them as well. And it's not just about us. It's bigger than us. And seeing what Tim Walton's done with softball in his time here, seeing what football, women's tennis, men's basketball, um, volleyball, soccer. I mean, you look at all the sports and what these coaches have done here. It shows you that the community wants to engage with your team and your program. Other things that are key to being successful, I know, are, are building a, a strong staff. And back when we talked the first time, again, everything was very new. We hadn't gotten to that stage yet. But can you tell us now about the staff that you've assembled and how they're going to help you be successful? With our coaching staff and support staff, I feel that it's important that you hire the right people, not the right experience, uh, not the right you know, win-loss record in their coaching career. But I think you hire the people that care for people the most. And that's what's important to me. And, and they value the relationships. So with our coaching staff, we've hired a, a mixture of some different personalities, but ultimately people that care about relationships and care about our players a lot and building those relationships. So Kelly Ray Finley, 
came to us most recently from Arizona. She's had a number of stops and done a great job recruiting nationally at high major programs, at, at mid-major programs. And her demeanor is one that is very balancing of myself. Uh, and so just having her on our staff who understands relationships and, and can communicate with our players and recruits differently than I do is very, very valuable asset to us. Then we hired a young man named John McCray, came most recently from Tennessee Chattanooga. He's had the, the honor of working under a Hall of Fame coach and Jim Foster the last six, seven years at Chattanooga and at Ohio State. And his demeanor is also one that's a, it's a little different than mine as well. He's a little more reserved, a little more observant, you could say, and picks his spots. And so in terms of balance on our, on our staff, I really like that about him, what he brings. And then we hired a young lady named Laura Harper. Laura Harper is more like me, a little more aggressive, you could say. <laughs> and outgoing. Um, Harp was most outstanding player of the Final Four in 2006 when they won the national championship at Maryland. So she brings a skill set from a player's point of view where, hey, you want to get drafted in the WNBA, you want to play overseas, you want to play for a national championship, win a national championship, and be named most outstanding player. She knows what it looks like mentally, physically, emotionally. She knows what it takes to walk in those footsteps. So she brings a completely different dynamic to our staff. So overall, I think our coaching staff and support staff is is terrific. Um, they have the right heart posture for serving our athletes and trying to give them all they need to be successful. But at the same time, also giving them discipline and helping them grow as people off the court. You know, when you're going into a season, expectations are always different based on who you ask. So if I'm asking you right now, what are your expectations for your first team at Florida? I don't talk goals. We don't talk about, you know, certain standards or levels that we have to reach. We just talk about being the best we can every day. Uh, it's a tough, tough challenge that we have ahead of us because we, we want to win a lot of games. We want to win championships. We want to compete for championships. But if you put the horse in front of, or you put the buggy in front of the horse, mm-hmm. well, then you can sometimes forget about what's most important now. That's what we like to say about win. We like to say win means what's important now. And for us right now, the expectations need to be that we learn every day to get a little better than what we were yesterday. That we push ourselves as hard as we can in every drill, every moment, with the best attitude, best effort we can to be better. And that means that there's going to be frustrations where we need to pick each other up. That means that there's going to be failure. That means that there's going to be tough times. But through that adversity is when you become better. Through the struggle is when you really grow. And I think the process right now has been focusing on that growth. And it's it's really hard for young athletes and it's hard for coaches and it's hard for myself to remember that and to keep it in perspective. Too many times you think the only great practice you have is where everything goes smoothly. Well, if that's the case, are you really learning and getting better that day? Because the struggle is what makes you better and grow. And so our expectations are to fight through the struggle, to battle through the struggle, to see how we're learning from successes and failures, to see how we're sticking together, coming together and building our program for tomorrow, not just for the game right now, not just for today's practice. We got to keep horse blinders on is what we say, Mm -hmm. because if we look to our right or to our left, if we hear what everybody else is saying, we lose track of where we're trying to go in that straight ahead. So we're just really trying to focus on being the best we can each moment and let the results take care of themselves. At this point in time, what do you view as the biggest strengths of this team? Um, You know, we've got some veteran players. You've got uh, Haley Lorenzen, 
who's a senior, who's played a lot of minutes. You've got uh, Drea Anderson, who's a senior as well, who's played a lot of minutes in a multitude of positions. She's got great versatility. Uh, that's the other thing with Haley. Haley has a lot of versatility as a forward. She's not just a back-to-the-basket, sit-on-the-low-block player. She can also face up, shoot threes, put the ball on the floor. Uh, we got a grad transfer in Paulina Herschler, who brings a lot of versatility as well and um, just some, some leadership as an elder statesman. Uh, you have Delisha Washington, who's only a sophomore for us, but played a lot of minutes last year as a freshman, was also named SEC Freshman of the Year. Uh, and then after that, you've got some players that bring a lot to the table, but not a ton of game experience, mm-hmm. uh, especially at the SEC level. We have a transfer that sat out last year in Sunda Nagasaglu. Uh, she'll be playing a lot of minutes for us at the guard position. You know, she had a great couple years at Utah State, and now how that translates over into the SEC will be fun to watch. Uh, she's a, a warrior who fights and yearns to learn every day. Uh, then you've got uh, another sophomore in Elif Portocal, who was a freshman last year, didn't play a ton, um, but can bring some steadiness to us. Uh, you got Sydney Cersei, who was a sophomore, didn't play a lot last year as well. And then you got a, three freshmen. So in Sydney Morang as well as another sophomore, didn't play a ton last year, but can really shoot the ball and stretch the floor. So there's a lot of question marks, uh, a, a lot of challenges with people being able to say, well, I, I haven't played much. I don't know. Well, I like to use those opportunities as forget I don't know and say, let's go learn. Let's let's figure out how to do it by, by pushing through it and throwing ourselves into the fire and fighting our way out. In terms of some of the, the returners that you mentioned, you know, when there's a coaching change, there's always that buy-in factor. And we're seeing it right now even with, with football and a lot of that that's going on. So for, from what you've experienced, what has that buy-in been like from some of the veterans and how hard of a process has that been? As a majority, they've bought in, they've believed, and they're trying to do what we're asking. Um, on the court, sometimes that's the, the harder part because – uh, you got to create the skill set first before you can really do all the, the, the whole part that you want to do. But in terms of attitude and effort and buy-in, it's there. They understand that if there's things we're asking of them and they don't do them, well, then they don't get the practice. They don't get uh, the other privileges. And, and it's a privilege, not a right. And, um, you know, we, we have removed one player from our team in large part because of that. Um, just didn't feel like we had the entire buy-in culture-wise with what we're trying to build and where we're going. Um, so they understand that it might not be what you chose and not, might not be what you signed up for, but this is where we're headed. And all of it ultimately is to make you a better person, a better player, and to really help build your network and build who you're becoming for the rest of your life, not just for your time here at Florida. We talked earlier about getting out in the community, and, and you mentioned some of the stories about your players and just you know interacting with people on the streets, helping them during the hurricane. Uh, for you personally, what have been some of the stories that have stood out in terms of your interactions with the community? I had the privilege of speaking to the quarterback club uh, here in town, and about 150 people were there and just could not appreciate more the reception that I, I received and how warm and welcoming they were. And after I spoke, you know, they stuck around and came up and shook my hand, told me their name and, and part of their stories. I, I've had a lot of those where I've been able to go speak at different, uh, whether it be schools or philanthropic type endeavors here in town with different groups. And it's just I keep being shocked by how welcoming this community is because it's easy to think that when you take over a program that's kind of in a black eye of the department, that people are going to treat you that way, that people are going to look at you and be like, oh, you know, you guys you know, our society loves winners. And so sometimes you get you get that fixation in your mind that, well, we've never won. So how are they going to treat us? And I kind of thought that way. But through being here, people, you know, they treat us 
more than just a, a basketball coach in a program that hasn't been successful. They want us to be successful. They want to help. They want to help us build. And that's what I mentioned earlier about when you invite people and you ask them for help, and when they know that they're more than just a fan, that they're actually part of what you're building, it really, really makes them feel invested. And so I've just been blown away and so excited at how welcoming the people are, how enthused they are for us, and how much they want to help build this the right way. I know you've got a, a young family that's been adjusting to Gainesville. So as you guys have gotten more and more settled in, what are some of your favorite things to do, places to see? How has that come together for you? Uh, my wife just found Depot Park the other day downtown. They Very did nice. A great job down there with a little water splash park. Um, you know, just throughout town, there was kale plantation when they shut the street down on Saturdays for the mm -hmm. farmer's market. My wife enjoys going out there. Um, our daughter's in some little Mother's Day out schools um, where they have met a lot of people. Um, I was shocked. We, we, My wife had been here a month and a half and we had a birthday party. And I, I couldn't believe how many friends they'd already made that came to the birthday party. And so it's just that whole community feel of people welcoming us and um, just helping us be part of this. And uh, we're churchgoers and we went to a lot of churches and, and just trying to figure out which one we really like. And the people have just been wonderful there as well. Um and also at the sporting events, mm -hmm. like it's so great when you're out and about at a sporting event or at a restaurant and people go out of the way just to say hello and introduce themselves. Mm -hmm. It's one thing to be living here. It's another thing to really be entrenched in it and to have people go out of the way to say hello and just that they're, they're supporters of the program. Well, Cam, we really appreciate your time and we wish you a lot of luck as you get your season started this weekend in the O'Connell Center. I appreciate that, Adam. Thanks so much for having us on. And uh, we miss you, buddy. But it's good to know that you're just a, a podcast away. <laughs> so wish all the best to you and hope you're enjoying your new endeavor. And uh, if, if coaches up there ever need to play, I got a, I got a great soccer play called the helicopter header. Uh, it's a trick play. You guys know bicycle. <laughs> you guys call it a bicycle kick. Sure. I call it a helicopter hit. That way, when you call out the play helicopter header and nobody knows what's coming. And essentially, you go bicycle kick all the way for a header to the goal. I can draw it up masterfully. I don't know how to help execute it, though. <laughs> it's a very good idea. Yeah, I, I will suggest it and see what kind of feedback I get. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, put it on me. <laughs> yeah. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Watch football as they travel to South Carolina on Saturday at noon on CBS and then catch the men's basketball season opener on Monday night against Gardner-Webb at 7 o'clock on ESPNU. We'll be back next week with an all-new episode covering it all, so don't miss it. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you at Exact Tech Arena.